Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from I'm Not Resting, I'm Creating, The Power of Positive Procrastination, written by John Rayburn. Learn the art of productive procrastination. Put more razzmatazz in your life with some sizzling ideas on how to handle time to your benefit and personal satisfaction. The author interviewed clinical psychologists, government leaders, and successful business people to arrive at ways and means of making the clock work more favorably for you. The slogan of the National Procrastinators Club is, Don't wait, procrastinate now. Wise observations from Da Vinci, Churchill, Einstein, Ovid, Sandberg, and others agree putting off in positive fashion can boost your success and happiness. Since the 1700s, we've been plagued by Lord Chesterfield's admonition, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. This text thumbs its nose at that with methods of managing time without letting it manage you. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from I'm Not Resting, I'm Creating. Chapter 3. The Unequaled Inequalities of Quality Time Quote, Life is a game to be played, not a puzzle to be solved. Bumper sticker. Do you ever give any conscious thought to the things that you have to do that you don't necessarily want to do? If so, you may have done a little simple mathematics and discovered that those things add up to a tremendous amount of time. Time that is used up and keeps you from doing things you do want to do. We're told we need an average eight hours sleep at night. This is not meant as a health and well-being quarrel with that, but merely to note that if you live to be 90 years old, it means you will have slept for 30 of those years. We're a nation of list makers, it seems, and you've probably either made lists or noticed them. There have been several similar to what I noticed in an issue of Family Circle magazine. It pointed out that the average American spends eight months of a lifetime doing nothing but opening junk mail. We spend five years taking in food and drink, and another five years waiting in lines of every description. Seven years go down the drain with bathroom basics, while we polish off another four years of doing housework. The average driver lets around six months get away just waiting for red lights to change. Let's face it, there is obligatory time as well as discretionary time, and the latter gets the short end of the stick more often than not. If it appears to you that practically everyone, including yourself, seems to be hurrying, then you noticed correctly. Research alerts stated that the average week had 26 hours of leisure in 1973, and by 1990, that had dropped to only 16 hours. A check would show even less now. Talk about harried. That's you. That's me they're talking about. And I don't like it one bit. How about you? Let's see if we can figure out what happened. The Bureau of Labor Statistics collects figures on an annual basis. They showed that there was an increase in the average work week in 1965 as compared to 10 to 20 years before that. As you well know... It hasn't gotten much better, if any, in the intervening period 
In spite of the stereotypical thought that there is an ever-shortening work week in our midst, maybe you were one of those who went on a four-day work week. Did those other three days increase your discretionary time? Probably not. You did a little moonlighting, didn't you? Oops, there goes some of that personal quality time. Or maybe you're self-employed. Surveys have disclosed that self-employed workers report about 10 added hours of work per week more than other employed people. Got to keep body and soul together, huh? I don't mean to put the onus on the workplace for chewing up so much of those 168 hours that are all you have available each week, but reality is reality. By the time you add in a main job, perhaps a second job, home chores like laundry, marketing, that awful rush hour commuting, and that mentioned sleeping time, those 168 hours have dwindled down to less than a precious few. Come on now, level with me. How much time do you really have left over for leisure travel, religious activities, reading, non-work conversation, even radio and television? That commuting part alone ate up five hours a week for the average employed man and around three and a half hours for the average employed woman. If you're optimistic in your figuring, you might have come up with about 20% free time after you take all the obligatory stuff into account. But that's probably stretching it. Sometime back in a quality-of-life survey, respondents who felt rushed as a general rule did indicate less of that free time than those who felt that they had some time on their hands. However, the strange part was that the latter group reported less life satisfaction. Why, I wonder? Maybe it was the kind of pleasurable free time activity. Maybe it was because money constraints kept them from doing what they really wanted to do. Of course, the answer to that for many was work more, work harder, so they could do what they wanted. Naturally, that cut into the free part some more, enough so that for a lot of folks, it became impossible to do some of the desirable things, even though there might now be enough cash to take care of it. The old vicious circle came into play, with a new problem aggravating the original difficulty. If you're a victim of that type, you can't like it very much, but you're caught up in the maelstrom of success. Success at any cost. At every turn you see, hear, or read about some new means of achieving success. It may be financial security, or the satisfaction of climbing the corporate ladder, or some other concomitant signal that someone has it made in the shade. But do they? Unless there is, indeed, something to the belief of reincarnation, we're only going to pass this way once. It happens to be my personal philosophy that God has given us a beautiful place to live and that He wants us to enjoy it for however short or long our lifespan may be. You'll never convince me that you can truly enjoy what we have if you constantly have your shoulder to the wheel, your nose to the grindstone, or whatever other cliché there is denoting that we must be drudges of a sort. Call it hedonism if you like, but I feel we owe something to ourselves. And those things include a chance to enjoy life, family, church, or whatever provides you with a non-guilt-ridden feeling of personal accomplishment, 
or of taking more command of your life than you have now. That's where positive procrastination comes in. I'm not talking about deciding to clean out the garage instead of paying bills because you figure the physical exertion means you'll be too tired to pay the bills when you're through. That's negative procrastination, and we both know it. So don't try to pull the wool over your own eyes, let alone mine. Oh gosh, I just don't know where to start. Boy, that's a good one. How many times have you said that? Is that your overwhelmed stage? You're so doggone overwhelmed you don't know where to start. Yeah, that's it. Can't do it because you don't know where to begin. Baloney. We've all heard the reasons for procrastinating, and we've been preached at to dig in and break the habit. Well, if you're talking about the kind of negative putting-off excuses just mentioned, you'll find, strangely enough, that I agree. Time management expert Edwin C. Bliss defined procrastination as postponement of doing something you know you really should be doing. He did admit, however, that others feel it means to put something off until the future time. He put a lot of different names on this process, names like deliberate delay, purposeful procrastination, positive procrastination, hmm, prudent postponement, watchful waiting, and discerning disregard. He got the terms right, but didn't really like any of them other than to begrudgingly admit that there are times when the process, by any name, might be justified. You bet your patootie, Edwin, because it can indeed be justified. Perhaps not from the if-you-really-want-to-get-ahead school of thought, but from the standpoint of my life means more to me than ongoing drudgery or achieving success of whatever nature that may or may not make my life a happier one. American writer Christopher Morley opined, There's only one success, to be able to spend your life in your own way. Most of the ways trying to describe success are like trying to tattoo a soap bubble. Obviously, I don't have the slightest idea of what success means to you. To some, it's amassing huge amounts of money or other assets. To still others, it can mean good health, a close-knit family, and enough material goods to live comfortably rather than opulently. There are just too many definitions and personal needs involved. But before it appears that I'm advocating crawling into a hole and pulling the hole in after you, let me assure you that I do not have my head buried in the sand. There are those who feel achieving success of whatever nature is personal quality time because that's what they like to do. In the next chapter, we'll have comments from some nationally prominent business people who have that sort of tendency. My only effort to ward off their way of doing things is to point out that good executives never put off until tomorrow what they can get someone else to do today. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from I'm Not Resting, I'm Creating. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.